God doesn't let you in on many details, does he, of your life? I, um, I'm, I'm going to have words when I get to heaven about this, because uh, I would like a few more details. But details are thin on the ground. I'm not too sure I would have coped with... Um, with God speaking to Abraham when he says, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to a land I will show you. That's it. That's all he got. And when you, you catch that thrill of the writer to the Hebrews when he says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Well, I don't know about you, but I could just do with a few more details. And when Paul is, is, is writing to his friends in Ephesus, he says, I keep on asking God. I love that. I keep on asking God. And I'm all, I, I keep on, I'm a keeping on man, me. And all I do is keep on asking. Keep on asking to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your heart may be illumined. That the eyes of your heart may be blasted with light. That the eyes of your heart may be filled And overwhelmed with God's favor. The eyes of your heart might be flooded with light. Uh, We're under a flash flood warning this morning. That your eyes of your heart may be flooded with light. And I want to try and, and apply these little words here to a story that Jesus, uh, a, paro, a, a, a healing that, that uh, Luke's gospel gives us. And this is what he says. This is Paul speaking. He says, may you know the hope to which you were called. I want your eyes. I want your eyes illumined. I want there to be a flash of light into your life. May you know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparable great power to those who believe. Just three simple things there and then we'll go and, and, and work alongside this wonderful story of Jesus spitting. Okay, right, spitting in the eyes of the blind man, but nevertheless, I nearly call this sermon, what would you do if Jesus spat on you? Who knows? You have been called. You have been called to a hope. You have been created for a hope. It's to ask you, what hope do you have in your life? Because Paul says to his friends in this wonderful township of Ephesus, that you may know the hope to which you've been called. This hope to which we've been called is not a roulette wheel. Where it starts spinning and you put your bet on and hope for the best that something good comes out. He's saying that you may know the hope 
to which you have been called. This, this hope that we've been called to is not a gamble. We've been called according to his purpose. Modern theologians, God bless them. And I'll have a word with some of them in heaven as well. And th- there are some great theologians. There's a guy called Bart, and he is an, an incredible theologian. But this is what he says. The Bible has little to say about the assurance of salvation. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Bart. I don't care how many books you've wrote and everything. I think you're wrong. Because I have a hope that is steadfast and certain. I know that I've been called of God. And I want God to open our eyes to this fact. I am called to a living hope. I've got a hope inside me that burns within me. That nothing can rip it away from it. Nothing can take it away. Whatever that might be. Nothing can take away that hope. I have that hope. And I can stand and say on solid rock I stand. All of the ground is shifting sand. This is the hope. And then he just says, <coughs> he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the state, that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance. We might not see it all, but they, it's all there. He's saying, come and see what lies ahead for you. I want God to open the eyes of your heart. So that you can, you can begin to see the unseen. To look in the eternal. And I think that's a great thing. To fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you know the old saints, they never neglected this world. But they kept their eyes on eternity. And Christianity was there in the founding of hospitals, education, culture, the Factories Act, the freedom of slaves. Christianity was there. And listen to me, the great evangelical awakening that took place in this country saved us, saved us from a bloody revolution like they had in France. And while we're at it, trade unions have more to do with Methodists than they have to do with Karl Marx. These were men and women. The riches of his glorious inheritance. They did things, but they kept their eyes on eternity. No wonder Paul says... About fighting with wild beasts. Why did he fight with them? Because he'd got his eyes set on eternity. And then finally here in this little section. His incomparable great power to those who believed. We believe because God's power is at work in us. And that power is the power of the resurrection. Verse 20 in chapter 1 says, He raised him. 
He did not give the disciples a nice cozy feeling on Easter Sunday morning. He, God, raised him. He raised him. I tell you what, I think sometimes some of our theological colleges need to go back to the Bible and have a look what it says. It says, he raised him. And that's what I believe. And because of that, death has no control over my life. Because he has conquered death. I know I can't control evil, but I know someone who has overcome the evil one. And I need to see it in this evil age. I need to see it. I need the eyes of my heart opening. And to put it beautifully, as the small faces would so aptly pen, oh, it's all too beautiful. Nothing can stop the purpose of God. Open my eyes, Lord, the eyes of my inner being. Let me see these things, three things, that you might know the hope to which you were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and this incomparable great power for us who believe. This power of the resurrection. This power of the resurrection that's in work in you now. The power of the resurrection. Now, I said we're going to link it in with the story of a healing. And here it is. Because if you went to um, chapter 8 again in Mark and verse 17, it just says Jesus is getting his hair off at this point. Or the way in which we portray Jesus sometimes, as though he doesn't get his hair, well, he got his hair off on this one. He was still talking about bread. This is what he's saying after the um, um, feeding of the 4,000. Are you still talking about bread? Don't you see? Don't you understand? And then this lovely little phrase. Do you have eyes and faith to see? Have you got eyes to see? And then this wonderful story. They came to Bethsaida. And some people... Are you thinking about those some people in your life? The some people that brought you to Christ? The some people that have done some good things for you? The some people that are there in your life? It's not good. Some people. Think back over them. Those people that have been kind to you and have offered friendship to you, that have brought you, that have taught you how to uh, maybe sing. Taught you how to play guitar, to play an instrument. Some people, some people, you're thinking them through in your life now. You're thinking about them. Those are the people in your life. The Bible tells us some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They're always there. They're always around you. Some people. Those are the folk to be thankful for. Some people. And they brought a blind man to Jesus. I think back over school 
I think back and I remember a teacher called Jock Southgate and Mrs. Southgate. They both taught in the same school I went to. Tremendous influence on my life. I think about music. I enjoy football. I never used to fully enjoy doing homework. But I made it here because of some people. I made it to where I am in my life now because of some people. Oh, I know that some of you say, Ah, well, of course, Jesus led you all the way. Fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not talking about Jesus at this point. I'm talking about some people who were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget those people, those some people in my life. They cared for this blind man. They cared for him. And then Jesus did something special. He took the blind man and he led him outside the village. Outside Bethsaida. He took him out of his environment. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I've had to change my environment. There are times when I'm talking to people who have problems with alcohol addiction. And I say, you need to change your playground. I've spoken to folk who have had problems with, with drug addiction. But I say to them, you've got to change your, your playground. There are times when you've got to come out of Bethsaida. Jesus took him by the hand and, and he led him out. Led him out of Bethsaida. I can remember reading about, and I've been there to a place called Hadley, which is near to South End. And at Hadley, there's a farm there that the people who were having real difficulty in the East End were taken by the Salvationists, the Salvation Army. They were taken out of the East End and they were brought to Hadley. And they worked on a farm. And there was big huts where they slept. But they were taken out of their situation. And because they were taken out of their situation, some of them and many of them found salvation army. Found, found the salvation in the army. The Jesus people have done it as well. They've taken people out of their environment. They live in a community. And in that community they found strength. They found a place to belong. And they discover who they are. The lovely thing about this church here is that you are people who have discovered who you are. You've come out of your community and you've come together. And that coming together has been a a strong bonding. Strong bonding. Oh, I'll never forget those people. Those some people. And there they are. Jesus takes him out of Bethsaida. If you don't see your environment correctly, your outlook on life will never change. 
And then it's this lovely little bit. Jesus spat on his eyes. I sometimes watch the God channel. I've never seen him do that one yet. But Jesus spat on his eyes. He's saying this. My saliva is better than all the wealth of Bethsaida. My saliva is better than all the wealth of Bethsaida. Because God's foolishness is better than all the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world is getting us absolutely nowhere. Don't you feel that when you read and watch the, the TV or the, or, or the papers that we're, we've been dumped on a carousel and we're going round and round and round and everybody's saying, aren't we, aren't we making progress? Well, the answer is, no, I'm sorry. We're just going round in circles. That's why this new translation by Thomas Michael Hook of the Psalm 121 reads like this. I will lift up mine eyes to Westminster. From whence cometh my help? Well, thank God it comes from the Lord. Because all it is, is going round and round and round, getting absolutely nowhere. The wisdom of this world is just a carousel. And we just regurgitate things. We never seem to conquer anything. We never seem to move forward. We're just going round and round and round. The wisdom of this world. When Jesus spat on this man's eyes, it seemed complete nonsense. But like the cross, it seemed foolishness to people. But this was a good thing. It's the power of God for salvation. I am not ashamed. What has happened to the church? When once upon a time, we would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What have we become? As we sing, oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. I can remember the church when we sang rescue the perishing and care for the dying. But people say, it's foolishness. Well, I don't think it is. To care for those who've been bereaved. To care for people who found their lives shattered. It's God's foolishness is greater than all the wisdom of the world. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I am not ashamed of, of, of Jesus' saliva. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to everyone who believes. And people are asking the question, what? is short in the church. And it is the power of God 
resurrection power. My prayer is this for you, that over these Lent period, when Lent just means uh, lovely long spring days, that over those lovely long spring days, you'll sense the power of God in your life to accomplish things and to work things through. I'm not ashamed. Oh, you can hear people, they'll laugh at our message. But it's the power of God to salvation. Then Jesus says, what do you see? What do you see? Well, I was sat in my study a few weeks ago, thinking about this particular story. And I got to this part, and it just said, what do you see? And my reply was, like the blind man, I see men as trees walking. <laughs> I didn't hear a voice, but I knew it was God. And he just said, Michael, how do you see people? How do you see people? And I think that's a vital question for every one of us this morning. How do you see people? You know you can have the touch of God on your life and still have the wrong attitude and outlook on life. How do you see people? How do you see them at the bank? How do you see them in the supermarket? How do you see them when you're filling your car up with fuel? How do you see people who serve you in a post office? How do you see people when you come to church? How do you see people on a sports field? And so I began to think and my reaction was this, I, I, I want to see people as you see them, Jesus. Little story for you, because I, I know uh, you like stories. Here's a guy coming down the um, steps on a station. He's coming to catch a train. He's come up the steps across the rail track and coming down the other side. When all of a sudden, the train pulls in and he's got to move. And as he gets to the bottom of the stairs, there's a young boy there with a little case and a haversack that's open. And as he's coming down the stairs, the little boy backs into him somehow and he hits the little boy. The little lad scatters, his case goes flying on the platform, his haversack comes out, the box that has the jigsaw in it bursts open and it's all spread out there. He has a choice to make. Do I get on the train? And he knelt down and he picked up all the pieces and put them in that box and gave them to the little lad. This is what the little lad said. Hey, mister, are you Jesus? And the guy said under his breath, I was that day. I was that day. When did we see you hungry 
When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you homeless? This is the most embarrassing verses in the Bible for evangelical Christians. They're embarrassing. When did we see you shivering? When did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? And Jesus says, for as much as you've done it to the least of one of these, you have done it to me. I don't know what it is these days. Some folk, they get three scriptures and a bottle of oil and they think um, they're God's chosen people. To be like Christ. Notice something else in this story. He made him better. But at this point he wasn't made whole. I'm just asking the question. You've come this morning. I'm just wondering. If one or two of you need a second touch in God's life. In your life by God. I've experienced God. Oh I'm talking. Oh I'm, I'm talking to you now. I've got you now. I've seen your eyes. I've got you now. We've experienced God. But my outlook on life hasn't changed. Oh, brother, um, I'm saved. We can be born again as well. But you're still tight-fisted. No, I'm saved. Well, you might be. You're still a gossiper. I think you misunderstand. I'm saved. Well, you might be, but you're still a liar. Well, I'm saved. Well, you might be. We still slander other people's names. And we need a second touch in our lives. To see things as they really are. Yet there are in my life. And sometimes I am. I'm very arrogant and very boastful. And sometimes can be backstabbing and have a venomous tongue. But whatever it is, Lord, get me out of this cycle. Get me out. I need the eyes of my heart opening. I need a touch again. I need a second touch. I need to throw my hands in the air and cry out. Lord, I want you to do something again in my life. I need a second touch. But then... I'll leave the last. This is what it says. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then the man's eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Oh, one or two of you have jumped the gun. And you know what I'm going to say. I can see clearly now. The rain has gone. 
I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that made me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright sunshiny day. Are you going to let God touch you again? Some of you need the touch of God again in your life. For one day, he will appear and every eye will see him. How will we know? Will he come with his um, beard? How will we know? I'll tell you. Because I've already seen Jesus. I've seen him in some of you. In your life. In your experience. We'll know him. We'll know him. Because we've seen him. We may have entertained angels unawares. But I think sometimes we've entertained Christ. As people have gone into prisons. Given of their clothes. Opened their homes up. And when they've been full of grief have come alongside them. You'll have no time for gossiping, no time for backbiting, no time for being nasty, no time for ripping somebody's head off. If you're looking with the eyes of Jesus and seeing him in each one, God bless you all. Amen.